0: Welcome to the Pet Cash Pod. I'm your host, Andrew Petcash. This is the 15th episode in my series where I interview founders, investors, athletes, and the smartest people in sports. Today's guest is David Anderson, CEO and co-founder of Breakaway Data, which is a venture-backed data analytics platform with major deals across sports. They were named a top 10 most innovative sports tech company by SBJ. We cover a handful of fascinating topics, including David's journey from six-year NFL wide receiver to entrepreneurship, Sports trends to watch, and an in depth breakdown of athlete biometric data, including who owns it, why it's important, and how athletes can use it to not only improve their performance, but also make money from it. This was a mind provoking conversation. I think you'll learn as much as I did. Let's dive in. David, appreciate you coming on, brother. The, uh, the basis of this whole podcast stemmed from from a LinkedIn post and some messages, and uh, all around athlete biometric data, who should own it, whether it's the athletes, leagues, teams, et cetera. So I figured let's just jump right into it. But to set the stage, I think it's best that uh, we start by asking the question, you know, what, what exactly even is biometric data? How's it collected, used, um, et cetera?
1: I think it's interesting in like when you're trying to really define what um, some of this data is and what some of this data isn't. I think what was pretty clear for a long time is what was medical data, right? And what was like, the, you know, those are x-rays. Those are stuff that are, you know, taken from your blood, taken from your brain, taken from anything done by a doctor, then all of a sudden, Fitbit and Whoop and Aura and uh, Force Plates and Nordboards and GPS tracking and vision tracking and biomechanics and um, all of that stuff started coming along. And it wasn't clear – it wasn't medical data because it wasn't done by a doctor. It was done by your strength and conditioning coach or your coach or some high-performance coordinator or something like that. And so it fell into this category that no one has really um, – characters like specifically defined. And I don't think ever will be specifically defined because there's always a new device tracking something else. And, um, to me, it's always been called fitness data, right? You look at a Fitbit, they call it fitness data, Apple health, they call it your fitness data. And and that's a, that's a broad term. Um, so I would say like all of those things fall into this gigantic fitness data category, which is adjacent to your, uh, your medical data. But in my opinion, they all are your health and wellness data, right? Your mm-hmm. medical, and your fitness data. So, if we're going to follow the same trends as your medical data, it should be owned uh, by the athlete, and it is theirs, and it is a key part to you know your your fitness and your GPS. All that does in a lot of ways inform injuries and a lot of medical data. So, they are uh, they are two um, you know sides of the coin, but they are part of a coin.
0: You played in the the NFL as a receiver for six years. Did you see this trend um, while you were playing and then coming out of it? of just even these devices and and fitness wearables um throughout your time
1: i saw i was on i was on at the beginning of this trend so i was one of the first they put like step counters on and they did you know some some very rudimentary gps stuff with us uh certainly we were doing stuff in the weight room was starting to get more and more tracked in terms of you know the treadmills are getting more sophisticated there was alter g's and stuff which could limit the amount of weight and that you would put on a certain hamstring and things like that so the devices were getting smarter and smarter and smarter um that's for sure and it's uh, nowhere near where it is now uh but i was at the yeah i was at the very beginning and seeing a lot of this and asking the first questions like what does this mean where does this go mm. um can i have it and, and things like that
0: you mentioned the the medical data kind of like as a segment does hipaa play into this at all
1: You know, it does for medical data, and it doesn't right now for what what we call fitness data. So um, that's why it's, uh, you know, fallen under interesting categories. It can, you know, it can Mm -hmm. live on some strength and conditioning coach's computer, and when he, you know, gets hired Mm -hmm. by another school, he takes it with him or leaves the computer and no one knows the codes, and and that data just kind of, you know, falls to the wayside. We've seen that in a number of places. You know, the, the majority of teams now, though, realize that it's important to have, it's important to store, it's un- important to analyze year over year. So they've, they've got you know gotten up to speed with that. Um, in terms of communicating directly with the athlete, I, st- I still think there's a lot left to be desired.
0: And what are some of those things in terms of communicating with the athlete?
1: Well, you know I think it really um, really depends on the team and the sport, obviously um and what Mm -hmm. the athlete can um uh put into practice realistically put into practice and then put into use in the game so starting with something like uh let's say a a football team a college football team uh Mm -hmm. depending what type of brand they brand of football they play right you have these you have these crazy spread teams and you have not so crazy spread teams you have um, guys that can recruit any players and have to spend less time and effort developing, and teams that you know, like Mama Modern Colorado State, uh, that's got to develop players for a year and, and get them on the field. So, um, depending on where you're at as a as a team, as a um, as a uh, from personnel wise, but also philosophy wise, is how data and technology should fit in. Right, you're not going to hire a spread offensive coordinator if you're a, a wing T um a Wing T team. You should not be tracking uh total high speed runs uh if you're army and you're you know running the wing T uh three you know four downs in a pile of dust type offense. So um you have to you have to make sure that the technology and the data mirrors the, the you know the culture of your football team, the brand of uh the brand of football you play and then how you can communicate to the athlete Really has to fit in with the uh, the time you spend with the athlete, or you know, when do you have one on ones versus team meetings versus position meetings? How do you typically communicate with the athletes? Is it over film? Is it sit down with with uh, you know paperwork in front of you? There's all sorts of things that you need to that the technology needs to fit into the sport. The sport's not going to fit into the tech.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, how are these athletes able to then monetize their data? Which I think will kind of lead us into the whole debate of like who owns the data and yada yada yada
1: well to date no one no one besides maybe dak Prespo, prescott talking about his sleep score uh and uh i think Michael
0: and Woop, i know whoop whoop did some stuff too stuff press, with with like um, rory yeah, yeah.
1: And so they've done they've done the preliminary stuff. Um, I think Chris Paul. I don't think he's monetized his sleep, but you know he's certainly uh, marketing for Aura. Um, and you, you've seen stuff like that. So it start it, it looks a lot like marketing um, in that like they're advertising for the for the brand or the device. Um, that is, that's how monetizing data kind of starts. And then it starts trickling into things that are more and more specific and then things that are more and more aggregated. So instead of just Chris Paul, it could be the entire, all the point guards in the NBA or something like that, like that, those opportunities will grow. And, and you should be, you know, you look at someone like the other sports brands, Nike and Under Armour, how they started is how data is going to start, right? They, Under Armour was about an undershirt for the University of Maryland, and that's what it was advertised and then it grew and grew and grew and expanded you know Nike was about a running shoe at the University of Oregon Gatorade was about a you know a drink yeah. for the University of Florida football team and and it, it grew from those great stories and that's how data monetization is going to start it's going to start with a good story about a good piece of tech and grow and then they're going to combine this tech with that tech and have another story and but i think the argument over Whose opportunity is that? It'll have to include the athlete is what everyone Mm -hmm. agrees to. And then who else it includes is really what I think the question you're asking.
0: I mean, I don't know if you have any data on this, but like how much is an athlete set to make? Like are these just tied into the marketing? But let's say then it, you know, the evolution takes place and now you have all the point guards or it becomes at a a higher level. Is that negotiated by, you know, the players associations or – you know, what, what are even those payments look like? Are they pretty lucrative, not?
1: I mean, it really depends on the athlete, uh, the type of data set and whatnot. So it's, I would say it's not necessarily an individual but, uh, by individual use case, but to a degree it is. Hmm. Um, right now we're talking about stuff that's months and years in the future. So uh, what, what I predict hmm. um, is that there will be certain um, things that are sold at a players association level, very similar to Madden where uh there's a they want everyone's data aka they want everyone's name image likeness jersey number and bat and, and yeah. last name to put into the video game and they sell it one time and that's how they make a bunch of money there will be sales like that and there's no reason madden shouldn't be buying the biomechanics off of individual athletes uh every off season to improve the, their game um and so that's something that you could sell at a, at a larger level but From an individual level's perspective, I mean, you have all these new companies that are creating, like, uh, I forgot what it's called, like, player marketplace, where it's, like, the stock market of athletes.
0: Oh, yeah, Mojo. I Actually, I have their founder coming on soon, too, Um, so it'll be interesting. I'll, I'll ask them about this, tie it in a little bit
1: exactly you can imagine them uh selling like the bloomberg uh terminal which is a, a player's mm-hmm. data and and if you want to buy this player why don't you do more research about him and figure out what he did this off season to recover from his injuries and stuff like that like there are opportunities there and i also think like um you ask you have to to a degree throw out traditional business models right data mm-hmm. licensing how sports data licensing in particular is always about gathering play-by-play statistics and as fast and as clean and as easy as possible selling it to bookmakers and odds makers and, and fantasy junkies and and people willing to spend money on on that data for the purpose of gambling um, that's not how player data was always going to be sold right you, you need to think mm-hmm. you need to take a step back and think like oh there might be some sort of like um, optimization model which is uh you know it's uh and, and, and those things are monetized a different way we we're looking at from our business kind of like a spotify model where you know what data people are clicking on and you're giving uh, athletes essentially a residual payment based on their data so um you have to be willing and open to like that that this marketplace is not going to be just a straight up like here's data here's the buyer and that's how it's traded
0: yeah i think it's a perfect segue why don't you now give us you know the brief overview of what you're building at uh, Breakaway Data.
1: Breakaway Data is an uh, an athletic performance company uh, that helps ath uh, 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 that helps athletes collect, use, and commercialize uh, their data. Right, so athletic performance and data. We we know that. Shoot, I wore big platform shoes back in the day to help improve my athletic performance. Like this, uh, we have seen how much Moneyball. And how much uh, analytics have helped teams and athletes. Well, now it's time to give athletes that power. And so that's what we're really about is athletic development through data. And, um, you know, we help athletes do it all on their phone. They collect their information um, from the teams that they play with. Uh, They take it with them like a passport and they can learn from it. Um, And our job is to educate them on how their data really helps them individually and how that data is contextualized uh, with all the other people that we use. And then getting into, eventually the commercialization of it. Obviously, there are CBAs we have to deal with. There are technology companies that we deal with, and that, that's a known that's a known uh, issue that we're going to have to deal with. But, um, like we said from the beginning. Uh, our belief or from a company and from just a technology and data standpoint is that the end user, a.k.a. the athlete, from our um, perspective, is, is, a, is a rightful owner of that information, should be able to do pretty much damn near what the, whatever they want with it. So that's us.
0: So is this like an all or nothing scenario? And I'm not even talking about your company here. But like for data, like it's either all the athletes do it or none of them do it. Or is it sprinkled or, or like what's the optimal for that? Like how is that going to look?
1: Optimal from a uh, data licensing perspective is if everyone buys in, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think we all can remember NBA Jam didn't include Michael Jordan. The game mm-hmm. still was successful, uh, and it did well, but, like, it was missing one player because he didn't sign the NBPA's collective bargaining agreement. He would do his own marketing deals on his own. So, like, that'll be the case. There will always be guys that opt out for some reason or another. Um, and, and that's fine. Our, our hope as a business and our hope as a space is that there's enough data collected to give uh, great uh, prediction capabilities just to really power the data for what it's, what it's whatever uh, end use case it has. Um, but there will always be other athletes that are more, more interested than others and willing to collect right. more, willing to wear more devices, willing to track more. And there will be other athletes who have zero interest in it and have... Um, you know, they are superstitious, and like Andrew Luck, they still have a flip phone. Like, how am I going to convince that guy <laughs> that he should be doing uh, right. data stuff? Like, he doesn't even care. To Does do he that.
0: really have a flip phone?
1: I think he did his entire career, which I I really appreciate. Right? Like, yeah. If it works,
0: did you, you play know, with Andrew?
1: Data break it, you know.
0: Did you play with him at all?
1: Uh, no, I never played against him. Uh, when I was on the Texans, he was on the Colts, but no, never with him.
0: Got you. No, that's funny. I didn't know he, uh, he had a, a flip phone. When we talk about the collective bargaining agreements there a little bit, the CBAs, there's a ton of different, and this is kind of where my LinkedIn post even stemmed from, but they all have different basically guidelines in place currently. And I don't really want to go through each individual, take a couple minutes here, but like, are there any that you think are doing it the best or that are leading the way and setting the example for how other leagues, new leagues should, you know, approach this?
1: I do think the NFLPA does a great job on um, understanding what data is out there and try, and making sure that their players' association and the CBA is first um, distinguishing between these things and that they are trying to put, at least to start with, certain important guidelines around its usage and where, if data is sold, who is who is aware who has become aware of it and whatnot no one has solved and that's what our company is helping to do the data collected by my league or team perspective making its way down all the way down to the athlete and I think that's this is a new problem we're trying to solve um, so I, I don't expect anyone that you know even wrote a CBA last year to understand that language and how that actually happens I think people forget that like CBAs are written four or five years and to try to predict what technology and data and how it's collected and distributed is, 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 a, is a fool's errand you'll never get that right um, but the NFL, NFLPA is typically followed when it comes to CBAs in terms of um, data rights and, and, and things like that. They do a great job. They have a strong legal team with a great technology uh, background. Um, and I think they've done a good job helping the other players' associations uh, come along as well. The NWSLPA um, hasn't uh, well um, organized in theirs. The NBPA also did a good job in that they, they protected it by putting a committee, a different approach, but it's still a sound approach and that they're going to make sure that the players hear about it. I think that's a good way to do it. It's not a great way to advance technology, um, but like they, it certainly protects the players in the right way, and they get a vote. Um, MLB has traditionally been very strong in data and analytics, um, mm. and I think from a team perspective, because the players have guaranteed contracts, they are vested in player development and finding these athletes and fine-tuning them. So just by way of how the sport is organized and how the players are paid and the data out there they do a good job but for very different reasons and i think that's where they're really getting at is like mlb and mlbpa in practice probably some of the best mbpa and what they do from a committee standpoint keeping the players aware really great nflpa from a cba perspective very great nwsl similar case right and we can go on and on talk about the others but um that's a couple things to know
0: what's interesting nothing obviously name image and likeness nil comes around there's nothing really for this athlete biometric data in college or, or now even younger in high school Yeah. so how does how does that play out or how is it going to play out
1: i wish i wish i had my crystal ball and could uh <laughs> could know because i would i would send our uh send business opportunities in that direction but you know what like i think college will always come down to recruiting and developing players and uh name image likeness as we can as we see right now is mainly being used to recruit players um and if you have a if someone has a better argument i'd love to hear it but um, (laughs) the collectors are essentially saying come to our school for x dollars uh there are some schools still winning on player development hey come here and uh, you'll become a better player and by by becoming a better player you'll get more name image likeness opportunities that is still used and so it's always those two things so um, in my opinion, data technology has always helped out in that category from finding players, you know, I mean, shoot, I was in a transition from VHS to digital. And so you mm. can't argue that technology hasn't helped recruiting. It's just it, the best technology is seamlessly integrated to the team and it's not called data. It's called whatever, you know, so it's called video, video mm. analysis and stuff right. like that. It's called pregame and postgame management and stuff like that. So, um, the players will be byproducts of how of of um, how how the teams use it for recruiting and player development. So, um, and that's where NIL opportunities really come from. Some players might get creative, and we've seen that the Chase Griffin, Griffins of the UCLA and what they can do and how they can kind of harness their power. Um, certainly, seeing Caleb Williams do some cool things with uh, yeah. NFTs and when he's doing with liner in their group. Um, I know Michigan um, and those players did some cool things because they were actually able to monetize their jerseys and stuff. So it's going to look very different at every school. You're right. There's no standard across. This is how we protect athletes. But that's even the case when it comes to data. Like, you know, California Mm. has data protection laws that other states don't. And uh, that's also going to factor in as time goes on.
0: There's a lot of points in there, but I'm going to pick a direction here. Chase Griffin, obviously, crushing the game as a – as a as a backup quarterback which is awesome but what are you guys doing as like a company to like are you helping some of these colleges in that data collection like that assisting to find the next Chase Griffin the next Caleb Williams is it through performance trackables or or what does that look like
1: well the perform- the trackables are all out there right so let's be clear right. like if you're coming up the ranks you go to Elite Elevens, you go to showcases, Nike showcases, Under Armour showcases. You're running five ten fives, you're running forties. You do height and weights. You do, you do all the combine stuff that like I didn't do till I got to the NFL is now done mm. on guys right. that are freshman, sophomore, junior, seniors. And that information is just like out in the wild, like it doesn't exist. Mm. And some people that get it, they change it because they want their player to look better. And vice versa. So there's all sorts of stuff happening, and my belief is that the the only person at the center of that is the athlete. The only person that mm-hmm. has their best interest in mind is the athlete themselves. So allow the athlete to aggregate their data, and then and only then, in my opinion, obviously there'll be people who probably like I was six foot and I ran a four four in college or high school, right? I wasn't that tall and whatnot. So like, you're gonna have to fight through some of that stuff, but. Like when the athlete controls their data, then they can take it with them. And then if you think about that at scale, if all these athletes have their profiles, they're 5, ten, 5, they're 40 times. High schools are now doing GPS. My high school does GPS. So they'll have loads and they'll have high speeds. Um, they're obviously in the weight room doing a lot of stuff, if not at their own facility. There's a ton of private coaches. We all see this and, and those that's a bunch of data sets that are worthwhile having. Then if uh, college can take a peek at that, now I know what to recruit. Now I know how to compare and contrast these athletes over others. Mm-hmm. So I just think the data collection has gone well beyond name, height, weight, and you know, are your parents tall and athletic, mm-hmm. which is what we used to be, to now uh, you know, a much larger, uh, deeper data set that, that colleges are inter- honestly really interested in looking at because it's hard to find good players. And getting back to your name, image, likeness, this transfer portal in NIL – has even mm. made it has made it even harder for high school athletes to get recruited. So they have right. even more incentive to to expose more information because if you're Colorado State, alma Water, and you're like, I have a chance to take this junior who was pretty darn good at Division two, or take a chance on this uh, senior. Mm. In high school, I have no, I'm going to take the D two kid, and so like it's it's a it's a different ball game in college for sure.
0: Yeah, that's a good point around the the high school kids. They're getting honestly, they're just getting straight up screwed now. A lot of them. Is it possible that there could be almost too much data collection or information?
1: You follow the wrong metrics for sure, and, and that could come from an evaluation standpoint and a, and a performance standpoint, right? If if you're if you're an athlete, and you're overly obsessed with one metric, and it's and it takes away from you being good at other things, right? If you're if you're a slot wide receiver and I'm overly obsessed with my, uh, whatever, my, my, my upper body force or something like that, which no one cares about, but I spend all my time on that, that I forget about what actually made me a good player for sure. And, um, I think data's goal is to, it, it, it should be to get to that personalization standpoint, to know how someone like you can perform at your best. But what is what could get caught up in there is if you follow the wrong track and you go the wrong way. And and I think, I mean, you see that in a lot of in a lot of in a lot of ways already uh, with how athletes uh, either find some guru coach that has them Mm -hmm. throwing a certain way or running a certain way, and they end up getting hurt and they have to go back to the basics and stuff like that. So um, that's always going to happen. But my belief is that data will only help with personalization um, and, and to be becoming a better athlete. I mean. I know it generally has in my career when um i knew that i needed to add speed i went to uh you know i ran in mm-hmm. gla at, at their track and trained with a former track and uh, usa track and field coach and that's what i focused on and that's what i put my my effort into instead of like whatever um increasing my vertical which on a uh, football field was kind of irrelevant but if if uh if you get off track yeah it's uh hopefully data brings you back that would be the goal
0: data brings you back yeah i mean i uh I had to stop using some of those because I, I was tracking my sleep. And, you know, I'm in college. I'd have, you know, a few drinks on a Saturday night and my recovery would be terrible. And it started to actually like play on my mind a little bit like, well, oh, I'm not getting the recovery I need. I'm not going to play th- that good this week. Did and you know so, what
1: I, drinks, uh, affected your sleep most though. That's what I would be interested in, like, and how data can help there.
0: Yeah. And so then you could break it down a little further, right? Because you could look at the recoveries. Okay, I had vodka tonight. What does the recovery look like the next morning? Oh, I had beer that night. What does it look like? And to me, it was a little bit different. And by the time I stopped, because I was just like, I didn't even like seeing that it affected me that much. Because I knew it was like, I'm in college. It's a Saturday night. We just won a big game today. Of course, we're going out. Yeah, that I like never really took it far enough to look. But to me, that's always been the interesting point of data. And then you bring, like, sports gambling into it or, or anything where, like, now they want athletes' sleep data. Okay, well, can you make, you know, betting lines or predictions on games based around, like, even just sleep or heart rate or, or any of those other things?
1: I mean, you theoretically could, but that will never happen. And. I mean, I was Why not? Like Keystone Lake, like cake stands mixed with vodka and and, uh, um, and Jello shots is uh, yeah. That, that probably doesn't lead <laughs> to the best recovery, but you might find no. out their tendencies there. Why won't sleep data ever be exposed for gambling companies? Because uh, I think it's too it's too confidential and too proprietary to the individual athlete, and they won't share. I thought it was really interesting just yesterday. I think someone asked LeBron how much he sleeps. He was like, Oh, I didn't mm-hmm. get to bed till midnight and I slept till eight. I woke up, ate breakfast, I got back in bed around eight thirty and slept till twelve thirty. I mean that guy's get twelve hours of sleep, Now, I wonder he's recovered nicely. If I'm if I'm a better man if I'm a betting man, now do I try to find a game where he is not getting twelve hours of sleep or something like that. Mm-hmm. So like I see where people are going with that. There are a lot of other data sets that would be um, i would I would find less intru- less intrusive that that fantasy companies and gaming companies would be interested in, but yeah, you're not you're never really gonna get sleep. I don't think you'll get week of week of uh, load management scores and things like that like the leagues and the players themselves would never be interested in exposing that.
0: Gotcha so what what data are they really aiming for then?
1: Are you talking about the gambling companies specifically? what are they aiming for?
0: No, I mean, you can go to both. Yeah, I mean, gambling companies, but also, like, you talk about the NFLPA and, you know, athletes maybe doing a full licensing agreement, like a Madden. Well, what data is going into that? Like, what are they actually providing that people want to buy?
1: The easy answer is biomechanics, how they move, right? If if you're creating a better mm-hmm. um, game, simulation game, it needs to make sure that the athletes all move similar to how they do on the field. If you really play close attention to Madden and stuff, the the gate similarities between all the players, meaning how they run is like really, mm-hmm. really close. Right. And so like, you just know that guys like Tyree kill has a very unique way that he runs, which makes him obviously he's incredibly fast, but also makes him really hard to guard. Cause you don't know how he's going to stop. He looks incredibly different than Devonte Adams and mm-hmm. how linear Devonte Adams is and how he uses that to his advantage. So like, but you look at him in the video game they look really similar in how they run. So the biomechanics right. is, is, a, is another one. Um, is the first one, and I think, and, and I think goes layers deep in terms of recovery from injury, um, in terms of like you know uh, year over year progress and and, uh, and abilities and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Biomechanics is, is is very telling. What other data sets are interesting? I mean, there are ve- there are some subjective team things uh, that I don't think would be exposed, but maybe some mental health questions that uh, mm-hmm. that athletes are are dealing with. Um, there are certainly conversations around uh, like. How successful your off-season was that guys would be interested in for agency type of uh, stuff kind of in there. But I am also a big believer that this is kind of – we're in the in the era of kind of the UGC, the user-generated content. And when you give athletes the ability to track themselves and their winning habits and stuff like that, like – for a thirty-nine-year-old retired player to tell a seventeen-year-old what he should be doing, uh, there are some good habits that I know he should track. But in terms of what would turn into a great story to build a marketing campaign around, I mean, uh, I'd be I'd be blind guessing. But I know it exists. I know it's there. That's what I do. Yeah.
0: Well, what are some of those good habits that you'd uh, you'd recommend for for a young seventeen-year-old up and comer?
1: All right. So. Number one thing that stops players from getting on a field and playing, whether that's going from JV to varsity or being a bench player to a starter, um, is consistency. Your coach cannot put you in a game if he doesn't know if you are going to consistently be able to do the things that he asks and needs you in that position, right? There are some players that have um, the freedom to do a bunch of stuff on the court or field, and it's because they are so talented and they cover up other people's mistakes and whatnot. If that's not you... Uh, Like it wasn't me. You have to be consistently good to be consistently good is actually just a series of habits and winning those habits day over day over day. And that monotonous aspect of sports that a lot of people forget because they only see you play on Sunday or Saturday or Friday night, whatever it is. But they forget that. Guess what? Monday at 7 a.m. We're going to go for an hour and a half on special teams. Then we're going to go for an hour and a half on Monday install starting with three by one and two by two sets on first and ten. Then we're going to go into um, defensive analysis and break down player by player who we're playing against. And then we're going to go apply it on the field in a walkthrough. And then we're going to watch the film. And then we're going to break down last week's film. And you're going to do that every Monday for 20 weeks. And the players that consistently show up and do that and know, okay, Monday, 730, here we go. And they don't cash it in. And they don't mess up in the walkthrough. And they have good... um, Uh, feedback from their coaches on how to play are the ones that the ones that uh the ones that get the opportunity to play and when that opportunity shows up they take advantage of it so it's consistently being good at those habits so i always accept i always mind say like did you win today right did you win at your event or whatever it was today and for me when i was playing it was one-on-ones did i win my one-on-ones Right. I knew I was going to be successful in seven on sevens. You can't control if the ball is going to get thrown to you. I knew I was going to not mess up on team. Right. I had I tracked my miscues and team made sure I never, never had more than one a week. Um, but like did I win my one on ones is really telling for me as if I was going to get the ball that week. So that's what I tracked. And for every athlete, that'll be slightly different. So I tracked the habits of one on ones. If I were going back now, I would certainly track my sleep um, uh, mm-hmm. more hours in bed than actual sleep time because I feel like your sleep time varies. But like did I get my – did I get horizontal come 930, right? Or was it 1130 or whatnot and am I tracking that tracking that aspect of my game? And then most certainly being in Houston, I used to suffer from cramps and stomach cramps and leg cramps and it had to do with hydration. So I would have focused on hydration. Those would have been my three – um, you know, pound a PD light before practice was something I always did, pound one after practice. Um, hmm. And I didn't really start learning these habits till my, my third or fourth year when I started playing. I wish I had some of those when I was younger um, and known those things when I was younger. But, you know, uh, for, for different athlete, and different positions, different sport, it'll look slightly different. Um, and uh, that's kind of what our company wants to provide. But, uh, you know.
0: Yeah. It's, habits. Now, how do you apply that to, I mean, you talk about these daily habits. There's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this that are either starting companies in sports or or have them, you know, rolling now. You know, what are some of the habits that you've now carried over that you think are essential?
1: It's not really an uh, entrepreneur or sporty, it's, it's everything. You keep the main thing the main thing. Um, and to me that's uh really about organizing your week. We do organize in our quarter through OKR subjective and key results. Uh, we do that at a quarter level, and that really helps me focus on what I need to ha- uh, what what I need to do from a weekly basis. And then I wake up um, on on well I put that together, together Sunday and then therefore I know what is the my main thing Monday Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then I track myself, did I keep the main thing, the main thing that day? And so that kind of has really helped me and keep me on track. And if I'm not even willing to go on my phone and note it, um, I say I didn't. Uh, and so it kind of lets me know like, and what I've realized is is when I am doing keeping the main thing the main thing there feels like a business momentum there feels like there's good luck coming my way for some reason but it's really not it's just I'm paying attention to the most important things Um, because an entrepreneur um, Mm. opportunity is one of the biggest distractions in that like you know someone has an opportunity over here that's slightly adjacent to what you're doing and seems like something great and an easy way to show revenue progress but actually completely distracts half Mm -hmm. of your team or the key key people on your team and and you chase that and all of a sudden you're not going where you need to go because you know everyone knows success doesn't look like this it's
0: it's like that
1: and uh, and so you gotta kind of keep that uh, main thing the main thing and it allows you to kind of take advantage of that momentum um yeah, I'd say that's that's one that's really worked for me. Yeah,
0: I love that. That is true about the opportunities where they the, you know, the ones that are right there. And it's like, but it takes you off the main the main path. But speaking of that, as we uh, I like to keep these around 30, 35 minutes. So as we close out here last year, you close a, another venture round team at Breakaways growing ton of initiatives. You know, what what lies ahead? What are on your OKRs for all of 2023 and beyond?
1: I want to have all the major players associations signed up and to make sure that all these professional athletes are aware that we are the app and the platform where they can, uh, that they can trust to get their data and to put it in a safe place. When I do that, uh, we've started to tell the colleges that they should be doing the same thing, and uh, our app will be designed so that younger athletes can subscribe and follow their favorite colleges, college athletes, and professional athletes. And that's really where I want to go. And so the, the what you can imagine seeing from us is building towards that, right? You'll see us uh, with, uh, announcing some more partnerships here in the first quarter uh, with different players' associations, announcing different deals with colleges to make sure that they're collecting their data and taking advantage of the NIL opportunities that data uh, presents. But where I really want to get is where a high school athlete sees this and starts to hear the habit tracking and the stuff that you know what like keeping the main thing like I was just talking about like that's that's the Mm -hmm. life I want to live that's how I want to prepare that's how I want to play and and I think they've they've heard it regardless if you're an athlete in the middle of nowhere in uh, Nebraska uh, Ohio California or Seattle wherever you're at located of course if you're like connected to a sports team closely you hear about this stuff but Mm-hmm. I want those type of athletes that are that are you know you know a couple removed from uh, the the typical moneyball talk to say like yeah I get it this is what I want to do and, and so that's what we really want to get towards is, is is the the daily wins uh, and when you stack those up for young athletes it's just letting them see their progress and see, letting them see how that helps their performance.
0: I love it. Any other uh, trends doesn't even have to be related to data or anything you're doing that you kind of see where sports is headed.
1: I'm really interested to see uh, what's going to happen in European football. You know, there's been a lot of American money spent uh, over there, and uh, with American money comes interesting commercialization opportunities and a different uh, typical set of standards. I won't even say they're better or worse. They are just more uh, mm-hmm. uh, what's or, or capitalistic-minded uh, set of standards. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious how that's going to um to change things uh i'm really interested to see how the city of los angeles responds to all of this uh sport all the sports coming in all right we got uh sofi uh now able to hold mm. we got world cups coming in we got olympics coming in we got all of this stuff uh coming through cricket yeah and, and and championships and stuff like that it's been fun to see the city of los angeles so that's abroad and that's local from a tech perspective mm. I'm really interested to see what happens at NFTs. You know, the, the, the mm-hmm. winter came, right? And we saw that and it poof, took out all the people who just made stupid digital art. Uh, mm. What's coming next, right? Who, what are the survivors uh, going to come out of the uh, come out of the woods with? And, and that's what I'm kind of interested in seeing because I believe in, a, in digital value um, and I know young, younger generation certainly does too. Uh, but um, I'm curious kind of what, what people are able to attach to NFTs going forward.
0: I can't end this now. We got to go into this last piece. Definitely. How do NFTs? How do NFTs and you know data monetization? How does this all collide?
1: To me, what makes an NFT special is it is a live. It is it is, it is dynamic, and it is it, it through algorithms and through um, uh, the right uh, infrastructure can be quote unquote living. It can be algorithmically kind of programmed to change as. Its environment, aka, as the data coming in changes. So the data coming in could be when the guy changes team, the card changes color. When the guy hits a home run, it lights up a certain way. Or an mm. explosion occurs. When the guy gets hurt, it has a sad face and it closes. And all all value is now stored and can it be changed a certain way. Well, like the opportunities are endless once you connect when it can be algorithmically connected to an a and and therefore any data set then it is just a it is just limited by your imagination on what it could do i think it will ultimately be connected to like ticketing because i do like you go to the super bowl and you have like the beautiful big ticket and then now we have the little ticketmaster ticket i understand mm-hmm. that 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 better uh, experience but i miss the lanyard thing you know and so like how mm-hmm. is your phone going to replace that experience and to me so there's like and to me it has to be connected to the data set oh the team that win it lights up different it, it lives a little differently it's stored a little different its values a little different like that all is coming and that is all algorithmic algorithmically connected through code and data so that's that's my interest is to see kind of where that is
0: that's fascinating yeah the nfts like their core utility there's a lot to them. They're really endless, but the art is kind of what messed everything up the last couple of years. Word's it just started. got, Word's started. yeah, it just got it a little ahead of itself, but, but David, appreciate you coming on Give let everyone know, you know, where they can learn more about breakaway data and then also yourself.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Breakawaydata.com. We got all of the ads at breakaway data on the Twitters, the Instagrams and the TikToks. So you'll be seeing more and more from us. Um, my, my co-founder and myself, Steve Garrett, David Anderson, and pretty regular try to be up on LinkedIn Um, and whatnot Uh, really proud of the team we've put together and and, uh, how we're going to be announcing players association wise and product wise but if you're a high school college or professional athlete i want you to know that data can really help your athletic development and um, it it has for teams they've optimized rosters they've optimized all this stuff it's time that athletes become aware of that and that's what we really are here to do
0: i love it good stuff david appreciate you again.